0: Hello, hello, hello. Imagine, imagine me walking up here with the Pink Floyd song, Money, playing. That's what I wanted, and this, people couldn't deliver for me this morning, so I'm um, very disappointed. But I am here to uh, talk to you about money. Uh, I love hearing Brian introduce himself, because Brian is like, hi, I'm one of the pastors. Basically, if you have problems, come talk to me. Uh, I'm Dwight. If you have problems, go talk to Brian. Um, so I, I just get to do this. Uh, and I, I love it. Uh, we planted this church, I don't know how many years ago, six, six-ish years ago. Um, and the Lord has been very uh, kind to us, allowed for us to uh, plant other churches. And, uh, and one of them is in the same building. So we have a French church just over in Theater 9. Um, so really excited about what God is doing in Quebec, in Canada. Uh, some of you don't know this, and that's fine. Um, but I'm the director for a national church planning network called Acts 29. And uh, God is doing incredible things all over the country and really excited to be a part of it. And we as a church get to be a part of it. And you might not know that, um, but we give some of our resources to Acts 29 so that churches can be planted across Canada, but not just Canada. Uh, we also have a specific partnership with a group in India. So we're helping to partner or we're helping to plant churches in India as we speak. It's pretty amazing that we in this snowy cold, you know, sometimes I wonder, Lord, why did you send me here? Uh, it's freezing. I do much better in warmer weather ministry. Beach ministry, I'd be in for that. I might even lift weights if I was called to do that. Um, But nonetheless, we're here. And so this little tiny church in Quebec uh, can partner with people around the globe. And this is just so amazing. And we get to do that primarily through our finances, So finances are really important for us to talk about as a church, and so that's what we're going to do today. Everyone's favorite topic, let's come to a church gathering and talk about money, right? Because a few things happen when we talk about money. People usually feel guilty, people look down the whole time, they never want to make eye contact, Uh, probably the people in the first row will move to the second row once I pray in a minute, Um, because we don't really want to be confronted with this because so often we're really attached to money. Uh, we have a great plan for our money and what our money can do for us. Uh, but before we get going into this, let me pray, and uh, then we'll get moving. Lord, thank you so much that you are a great God who, who cares for us. You're a great provider and protector. From the beginning, when you made all things, uh, you said that you would be our provider, so I, I claim that we have no other provider. There, there's no job that's giving us our resources. Uh, there's no spouse giving us resources. There's no parent giving us resources. It ultimately all comes from you. And we will struggle to believe that this morning. We will struggle uh, to believe that you have a better plan for our resources than we do. We will struggle to believe that our resources aren't even ours, but they're yours. So would you help us in that struggle? Would you help our hearts to explode with generosity uh, today, generosity towards others? Uh, Would you bring us outside of ourselves? And Spirit of God, would you speak to us? We know that you love uh, to make Jesus known. We just sang about him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Jesus, you were the lamb that laid down your life for us. Uh, And that's good news. And I pray for those of us who are here, who are saying, I don't know how that's good news for me. And I pray that as we leave today, there wouldn't be a person that, that leaves Scotiabank Theater without believing for themselves that Jesus being slain and rising for them is good news. So we love you. We know that you're the hero of this. We're really here to talk about you, not money. We need you. Amen. So, I love that I can say that we're really here to talk about Jesus. He's the primary one, He's the hero. This is ultimately a sermon, not about money. If you came here because you thought it was going to be about index funds, which, by the way, I'm learning a lot about, I read a ton of books about this stuff. I feel like an expert. I'm probably an idiot, but I feel like an expert for this little bit, all right? Um, So, I actually feel like I have something to give in that regard as well, but I won't do that this morning. So, how many of you want to be rich? You humble, I want to call you something mean, but whatever. All right, now everyone close their eyes. Don't look around. Who wants to be rich? Yeah, okay, that's better. All right. Uh, So I want to be rich. I want money, lots and lots of money. I want to be rich. Oh, 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 oh. There was a song that went like that. I'm not making it up, right? But we're all like, yes, amen, amen. I want to be rich. I want lots of resources. I, I. I don't want to have to be in need anymore. I wanna be taken care of. I want to go onto my bank account and not wonder if a negative sign is gonna be at the front of my balance, right? That would be glory for some of us, right? I wanna move beyond the ramen era, Right, there are errors in our life and ramen. And I know some of you are like, "No, I love ramen." You won't always love ramen. I lived on ramen for six years. You can see my ribs still. All right, uh, it had an impact on me. Okay, um, we we want to be rich. We want to be rich. I think that God has actually put that desire into our hearts that we would be connected to lots of resources. And and money isn't bad. In the church, sometimes we think, "Ah, oh, money's the root of all evil." No, it's not. It's a root of evil. Money can be evil because it's attached to evil people in the way that we use it. But money in and of itself isn't evil. In fact, it's a gift. It's a gift that's given to us. Don't you love it on your birthday, uh, if, if you have people that do this for you, that you get cards in the mail, and there's, there's a check. As a kid, that was the worst thing in the world. It's like, a check? What is this? It's not even real money. I can't even do anything with this stupid thing. But when you're a grown up, people ask you, like, what do you want? Like, just checks, just money. That's all I want. Don't, don't try and get me a gizmo that's going to do something. I don't want it at all, right? I want money. I want money. It's a gift to us. But what we're tempted to do with money is to turn it into a God. We're tempted to take this great gift and make it something that we worship, that we would say, oh, great money. Now, none of us are going to say this right, out loud, but we, we oftentimes feel this and think this, oh, great money, great dollar bill, you are my provider, you are my comfort, you are the place where I take refuge, You are where I find my identity, or you are going to bring me into a new promised land where I'm going to finally be able to wear nice clothes and drive a nice car or ride a nice bike or ride a bike or whatever it is, that money, you're going to bring salvation to me. We're tempted to make money a God when it was just given to us as a gift, something to be used not to be worshiped. And Jesus knows this about our hearts. Our hearts are so tempted to worship anything. You are a worshiper all the time, right? We get called in sometimes, and the music person's like, I want to call you to worship. It's like, but you've been worshiping all morning, right? When you hit snooze, I'm worshiping my sleep, right? Times can hit the snooze. I'm not saying you're worshiping your, your sleep, but it's so easy for us to worship other things other than the one that we were made to worship. So Jesus knew this. So Jesus, in his teaching, took 15% of his time to talk about money and possessions. And when you think about it, that's probably about as much time as you think about money, your lack of money, or what you own or want to own. 15% of your life is devoted to thinking about this stuff, maybe. But Jesus devoted 15% of his teaching that we have to money and possessions, So in the church, we often try and get around this topic because somehow we think everyone's just going to figure out how to use their money the way that God wants for them to use their money. And we just try and let people do whatever they want with it. And ultimately, end of the day, you do what you want to do with the money that's been entrusted to you. But as the church, it's our job to take what God has said here and actually speak about it here. And if Jesus spends 15% of his time speaking about money and possessions, then probably we as a church need to spend more time talking about money and possessions. But we don't. It's a taboo topic because it's a private issue for us. We'll talk about anything else, but just don't talk to me about money. We feel guilty. Uh, We've created rules for ourselves that might not even be biblical or of God. And we think of money as being an unspiritual thing. Just talk to me about spiritual things. And I would say that, let me talk to you about money. And as we're talking about money, we can see how spiritual you are. What you do with your money speaks about your spirituality. So it is a very spiritual issue. And so as a church, um, we've just done a poor job. I'm speaking for all of us. I want to bring everyone in on our failures, okay? As the church, uh, we've done a poor job of discipling uh, people with money, because the predominant idea is that money is my money. Most likely, that's all of our ideas. That, that money is my money. I get my paycheck. I get my birthday money. I get my tax return. I get my stuff. And, and that's, that's appropriate, grammatically speaking, because yes, you, it's yours. But in a theological sense, when we talk about it from the, the scripture, um, God actually has a different idea for that. That it's not my money. Because if we look at it as my money, then we're going to say, oh, I save my money for who? For me. I spend my money for who? For me. And, and honestly, the, the way that most Christians I speak with um, deal with their money is they, they spend, they save a little bit, and if there's anything left over, they give it. So it's like whatever the leftovers are, like, here you go. This is the way most of us deal with money. And the belief that's undergirding that is that if I don't have enough to give at the end of the month, then God has given me too little. So it's not my fault as a steward who's been entrusted with this. God, if you would just give me more money, I would be able to give. And so I think that it's that mindset that actually keeps us from being rich. The mindset that this is my money, my resources, my stuff, that is what keeps us from being rich. So let me explain. I'm going to use a lot of Bible today, and I'm going to move fast through certain things because I want to land somewhere with this. So let me explain. First thing is that the Lord owns everything. Everything. There's no footnote. There's no exception. The Lord owns everything. Everything, and I could throw up thousands of verses on the screen, but I'm just going to do three. Genesis: 1:1, first book in the Bible, first verse. "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This implies He made it, therefore it's all His." And if you're like, well, you can't, you can't put that inference there from, from that, OK, great. Psalm 24:1: "The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein." Now it's all His. Two verses, we've we've ended that debate. But if you're like, I'm not sure, let's go one more. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, this is God speaking, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. The Lord owns everything. And what's amazing about the Lord is that he is supremely generous. If you own anything, if, you, if you're wearing clothes, which you all are, thank you. If you rented those clothes to wear today, thank you again. But they're still not even yours because the Lord owns everything. And the Lord is generous. He's given you underwear. Amazing. What you do with that is up to you, but he's given it to you. Um, he's given you clothes. He's given you means of transportation. He's given you warmth. He's given you a theater to be in this morning. He's given you someone to speak to you. I mean, man, how lucky are you, right? The Lord is generous. James, book in the New Testament, says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, meaning from the Lord, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything you own is a gift from him. This is amazing. 1 Timothy six seventeen. as for the rich in this present age, and by the way, when you're tempted to put poor there, go ahead and put yourself next to the rest of the world, right? Because next to like two thirds of the rest of the world, you are very rich, you ramen eaters, wealthy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, So God doesn't just provide with like bare bones necessities. God gives gifts for us to enjoy above and beyond just what we need. What a generous God. What a generous God. So he gives it to us. And then what does he demand? That we are stewards. That we don't receive and we can just do whatever we want with it. He's actually told us what he wants for us to do with the resources that he's given. So let me use this quote by C.S. Lewis. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you would not give him anything that was not in a sense his own already. Everything is his. Everything is given to us to steward, to be a manager over there's a very lengthy text that I wanna read with us today out of Matthew 25. And so um, I'll put it up on the screen for us and then we'll apply a few things out of this and we'll keep moving. Uh, as I said, this front part of the sermon is just gonna move very fast. I'm trying to overwhelm our hearts that wanna believe that things are ours with the reality that no, they're not. So here you go, Matthew 25, 14 through 29. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And so, let me read you the rest of the text out of here. Matthew, same Bible, okay, verses, Bible, right? Verse 20. Um, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. He doubled. The money that the master had given to him. His master said to him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked "'Slothful servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown "'and gather where I scattered no seed. "'Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. "'And at my coming, I should have received "'what was my own with interest. "'So take the talent from him "'and give it to him who has 10 talents. "'For to everyone who has will be more be given, "'and he will have an abundance. "'But from the one who has not, "'even what he has will be taken away.'" There are three things in this passage Three things. One, there's a responsibility. The Lord gives, this master gives talents, large sums of money to these individuals. There's a responsibility. This is mine. I'm giving it to you, but it's not yours. You do not get to say what you do with it. Here. Responsibility. The second thing is that there's accountability. What happens? The master doesn't just say, hey, use it for the rest of your life. Do whatever you want. Enjoy. No, he comes back. Why does he come back? I want to know what happened to my money. I want to know what you've done with my stuff. And for the, the one that multiplied the five talents and the two talents, what happens? There's a reward. There's a reward that's given. The Lord gives them responsibility beyond what they had. And they made their master joyful in how they stewarded his resources. But the one who had one and who just buried it and pulled it up out of the ground when he came back, what happened? He took it away from him and gave it to someone else and removed him from his presence. There's a, there's a reward that's given. So there's a responsibility, an accountability, uh, and a reward for how we actually steward the resources that God has given to us. Now, I want to say what I said at the beginning, that I believe that the Lord wants for us to be rich. Our our term in our culture is filthy rich, right? But that doesn't seem to apply to the type of richness that the Lord would want for us. So the Lord wants wants for us to be rich, but in a different market, not in the S&P, right? Not in the stock exchange. What market does the Lord want for us to invest in? Well, Brian read it for us already from Matthew 6, but I'll read it again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There is the market, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also The Lord, this is from our Lord Jesus, and he's talking about temporary riches versus eternal riches. And these two are against one another. That we can pursue temporary riches only, or we can pursue eternal riches. And both reveal who our Lord really is. When we pursue temporary riches for ourselves, because we don't think that the Lord can take care of us that money or possessions are a real provider. The Lord isn't the one that's our real provider. It's like chasing wind. The writer of Ecclesiastes wrote this. He was very, very rich, extremely wealthy, a king. And he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity, meaningless, nothingness. When goods increase, they increase As he came from the mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Maybe the most wealthy person to ever live, we don't know. Very wealthy man, Solomon King, very wise man. And he's saying, if you chase temporary riches, you will be chasing wind. You will be left meaningless. You will be left with nothing. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book, The Treasure Principle says this, the more you have, The more you want. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. The more you have, the more people come after it. The more you realize it does you no good. The more you have to worry about it. The more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. The more you have to lose, the more you'll leave behind. Having more doesn't mean a a scotch-free life. It means you have more to worry about. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If that's what the Lord wants for you to do, But don't think if I just had more resources and more money, I would be fine. If that's what you pursue, you're chasing temporary riches. You're chasing wind. What a silly thing. If you see a child out chasing wind. Sometimes my kids do it. They chase wind or that one snowflake that's coming down with their tongue out. And they end up running into a fence, right? It's like, what are you doing? I'm chasing a snowflake. They're everywhere. Like, just just stand there and wait for them, right? No, I want that one. Okay. But chasing wind is even more silly because you'll never catch it. You'll never catch it. But eternal riches, what are eternal riches? Well, primarily, they're the person of Jesus. That Jesus isn't saying that I have this whole massive uh, stock of of coins waiting for those who show me they can do a good job on earth and now you can come swim in my, my money like Scrooge would. No. Primarily, eternal riches are, is a person of Jesus, that you get him, that you are made to know him. You are made to be known by him, not just know about him, but to know him. So it's a person. Eternal riches are a person. Secondly, they're a place. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you have a new home. Your new home is with him. It will be in heaven, and then when the Lord returns, he's going to bring heaven and earth together and make this new creation. And so you have a home that you've never been to before. You have a home that you've never visited. That's eternal riches. And then thirdly, there are these possessions that seem so weird in in a sense. Because we're saying, don't be about earthly possessions because you'll get eternal possessions. But we're not quite sure exactly what to do with that. And the Lord says this to a rich young ruler in Matthew 19. 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess. A guy who's loaded, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So the Lord is saying, in a real sense, that you'll have possessions. Go and and sell to the poor. I mean, go sell, give to the poor. Don't find your identity in earthly possessions. Give your life away and you'll be rich. You'll have eternal possessions. So this eternal riches is about a person, a place, and possessions. But there's some element that these these eternal rewards, they're received by how we steward God's resources. So we're gonna get Jesus. If you believe in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection for you, you get him. If you believe in that, you get a new home. But then there's something connected to the eternal possessions that we have and how well we steward the Lord's resources now. And if you think about it, if we're going to live forever, there's a lot of stuff to do. I don't think that the Lord is setting up an eternal knitting class. I don't think that the Lord is setting up an eternal music fest. I think that eternity is going to look a lot like today where we have jobs, but we'll enjoy working. We won't have to sleep. There'll be no nights. There'll be no death. So there'll be no pain or toil in our labor. So there's gonna be so many things for us to do. And somehow what we do here impacts what we get to do there. And I don't understand it all, right? The, The guy who says, or the gal who says, I understand it, I, I would have a hard time listening to them because we, we don't have all of that. But there's a reality that stewarding our stuff now, stewarding the Lord's stuff now is so important. So I wanna be rich. You guys close your eyes, you all raise your hand, except you very humble people, okay? Um, <clears throat> but how do we get rich? And I'm not talking about earthly possessions now. I'm talking about these eternal possessions this eternal treasure? How do we get rich? How do we get as rich as we possibly can eternally? And the answer is pretty simple. Giving. Giving. God is a, a giver. He's a generous God. We see in Second Corinthians 8 verse 9, the generosity of God to us. For you know the grace or the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he's always been God. He's always had his rightful place in in heaven, ruling and reigning over everything. Intimately acquainted with everything, but ruling and reigning nonetheless. Rich. And what does Paul say? Though he was yet rich, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became rich poor. He became poor, why? For you. For me, he became poor so that you and me by his poverty might become rich. Jesus came and he bore the debt on the cross that you should have to bear. This death that Jesus died was for you in your place because he loves you. As he's hanging on the cross, he became the imperfection that you are so that you could become the perfection that he is. This is the generosity of God. I want for my people to be with me forever. They can't be with me because they're rebels. So I'm gonna go ahead and remove the rebellion by, by sending Jesus to go and become a man, wear their sin, wear their rebellion, so that they can wear his righteousness and be in my presence forever. That is generosity. That is, is outrageous giving. And he didn't give when you were on your knees saying, okay, Lord, now I'm ready. You can come and die for me now. I'm ready. No, he came when you were an enemy or before you were born. He knew that you would rebel against him. And he came and did this for you. This is his generosity. And so when we're giving, we get to imitate God. Every gift that we're giving is an imitation of God. God. Uh, Les mes Jean Valjean, he, uh, familiar with the story? Yes. I'm going to use it anyway, whether you are or not. But uh, there's this criminal, gets out, uh, goes in to stay with a priest, eats dinner, and is leaving at night and stealing uh, stuff. He gets caught, gets brought back to, to the priest's place, and the priest forgives him, lets him go, and actually gives him more to take with him. And that shook Jean Valjean completely. And so a a few lines, uh, this is Jean Valjean's old way of thinking. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart into stone. This is all I've lived for. Justice, revenge. This is all I've known. One word from him, one word from this priest, and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack. But instead he offers me my freedom. I don't deserve this. And so at the end, He says this, I'll escape now from that world, from the world of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. And so we have this this guy, this criminal, living for himself, everything is mine, and he needs to steal to get mine. He encounters good news that this priest offers to him, freedom, forgiveness, and Jean Valjean has changed. And he then goes and gives away to everyone. He's imitating what he's seen. And in the same way, when we've received from God, we get to go and give. If we run around the world trying to just get things for us and being stingy and greedy, and how can I keep these things for myself? How can I build a bigger thing for me so that people would look at me and see how great I am? We missed the point that God has given resources If God has called you to build a really big house, I'm so glad, invite me over, right? But if God has given you the desire to build this massive house, I'm sure that it's also with his heart to see lots of people in there filling it so that you can be extremely generous to these people that are around you that need to know about the generosity of God, especially through Jesus. You see, where our heart is, our money follows, if your heart is wrapped up in figuring out how can, you, how can I be secure for the rest of my life? If you go to the bank of Montreal, do you know what they're not gonna tell you? The Lord is gonna be your provider. Now be wise with the resources, but ultimately the Lord is gonna take care of you. He's sovereign. No, they're gonna freak out. They're gonna say, when I met with a financial advisor, um, I set out like all the things and she said, well, what is this number? I said, oh, that's, that's what we give. She's like, oh, you can't do that anymore. I'm like, I think our relationship is over. (laughs) In in a sense, because this is where my identity is rooted. That because I am God's, I am a giver. I'm not a taker. I want to move at the world with hands open like this, not hands like this. What can I take for myself? This is what the Lord does in our hearts. And the Lord uses our Giving. Don't think that your giving is is meaningless, that it's falling on dry land that's not producing anything. When you give, you have no idea what what is going to take place. You really don't. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote this, as a base thing as money often is, it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry, clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men and women to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. In a much simpler way to say it, my friend Ross Lester says, mission, money is mission ammunition that will blow holes in the gates of hell that your money is mission ammunition that will blow holes in the gates of hell. That's powerful. Because it's not us figuring out how do we get a a bigger building? We rent a building on purpose. We aren't seeking out necessarily uh, this massive building in downtown Montreal. Because by renting at this age and stage of the church, we can be more generous outside. Because if the heating doesn't work, you know what? We write an email. Um, you need to fix this on your dime, not ours. Uh, water breaks, we just move into theater 12. Uh, screen falls down, we move into theater 12, right? We have all these options here. Stuff happens in your building. It's like, well, we're doing a building campaign. We can't think about the loss. We can't think about outside of this building anymore because we need to be focused on the building. And that's so often what happens in churches, not all of them, but many of them. You become about the, the building. And, and that's not the church. The church is the people. The people that gather together in a building, but then go and spend the majority of our lives outside of this place. And so our money can blow holes into the gates of hell. It's blowing holes in the gates of hell in India. You realize that we're supporting people in India that are reaching villages that the gospel has never, ever gone into ever before. Amazing. Amazing. And it does it on probably less than most of our food budgets per month. Amazing. The Lord is using our resources to blow holes in the gates of hell in India. In Canada, there are multiple churches that are being planted that we're connected to. Amazing. Holes being blown in the gates of hell because you are being generous. We have planted two churches over the past year and a half. Why? Because you are being generous. We don't look at our bottom line. Well, we get trouble when we look at our bottom line sometimes uh, because it's so easy to be in a deficit. But that's not what leads us. The Lord leads us. And if the Lord wants for us to plant a bunch of churches and to give money to India, then we as the people of God need to figure out how do we get behind his vision? How do we leverage our resources differently so that he can do these things that he wants to do through us? Because at the end of the day, honestly... Church 21, the Lord is going to do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't have to use us. But we get to participate in this. That's amazing. I love that all of our money doesn't go towards our stuff. I love that a significant amount goes out, and it has been going out since the beginning, because we wanted to be a church that was generous, not a church that was just all about us and our programs and our stuff. So, how do we give? This is me doing a long wrap up. Okay, how do we give? Three ways. Number one, we give regularly. The Lord, in, in all throughout the Bible, I'm not going to do this. Uh, probably 2018, we'll do a, a short series on on money, which we can delve into all of this stuff. But there's a principle of first fruits that's all throughout Scripture. And the first fruits is this, okay? If you work with fruit or vegetables, I try not to as much as possible. But if you work with them, uh, then whatever comes up first, you're like, oh, great, I'm gonna eat this. First fruit says, no, give that to the Lord. Why? Why would I give this to the Lord? I'm, I'm hungry now. I need to eat now. I'm seeing this now. Because by giving the first, we're saying, Lord, this is not gonna be my, my provider. You are. And so this is me preaching to my soul. You know that song, bless the Lord, O my soul? That's like David screaming at his soul, a soul that doesn't want to bless the Lord. So bless the Lord, soul. This is what first fruits giving is supposed to do. You are not my provider, tomato. I am giving you away. You are not my provider, paycheck. I am giving this first part away. This is the Lord's. And we get paid regularly, most of us, it might be once a year, Uh, it might be every week, it might be daily, depending on your job. But that when we receive money, this is our opportunity to worship. When we receive, it's our opportunity to worship, not be like, oh, what can I do with this? It's this, Lord, thank you so much that you have put your resources into my hands. What do you want to do with them? Lord, make my heart generous. And to do that, to to help my heart grow in this, I'm going to be generous right away. That we give regularly. And you say like, ah, I forget, I forget. You know what? You have this really amazing device that's way smarter than you. You can go ahead and, and put in a reminder on payday, give. You can even set up in your bank accounts, like auto payments, You can write checks in advance and just give them way in advance. Now, I don't think that's a good idea. Some of you do it, and that's fine. I don't think it's a good idea. I put our check in the box every time that I give. Why? Because I get to participate in like, yeah, this is costing us something, Lord. Boom. But I love you more than I love this money. Gone. I'm worshiping you. When it's just auto pay, auto gone, we oftentimes just view it as another bill. It's not a bill. This is the Lord inviting you in to participate with him and blowing holes in the gates of hell all around the world. And it happens by you putting money in a box or hitting send and you lifting up your hand saying, Lord, I want you more than I want this money. So take it, blow holes in the gates of hell, rescue people, change people's hearts, it's yours. By the way, we make an announcement every week about this. We're already trying to help you do this regularly. Next week, next week, epic thing. Next week, we'll have text giving available to you. That's about the response I expected. Um, but uh, next week, we'll have text giving available so that you can actually just text in money. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot to give in this way, but done, great, amazing. So glad you're all blown away. Uh, cheerfully cheerfully. So we give regularly. We also give cheerfully. The Lord went after this tax collector, this guy who was stealing money named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was hated by all of the people in his town. Nobody liked him. He had probably had this posh house all by himself, best best donkeys in town. Okay. Like everything was was amazing to the tilt, like awesome. Okay. Jesus comes into town. Jesus meets up with Zacchaeus. Jesus changes Zacchaeus' heart. And what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. What? This guy's loaded. Now all his money, he wants to give it away. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm gonna restore it fourfold. He, his whole life was built on defrauding people. He was basically saying, I'm gonna lose all my money because I have found the one that I've been looking for. I have found the riches that I've been seeking money no longer matters. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. And since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That giving shouldn't be this like reluctant thing. Oh, I have to give. It might be at first. That's how all disciplines are. If you've never run before and then you want to go out and do a 10K, you're going to be very reluctant the second day to get back out and run. It won't be fun. And this might be your journey into giving as well. But the Lord wants for you to be a cheerful giver. That it's a joy to release his resources back to him. That it's a joy that we get to participate in this mission with him. And it's addictive. It's addictive. Talking to some of the biggest givers they say it's hilarious and they can't wait to have meetings to hear about things that they can give to. It's crazy. I meet with people who are, who are looking for very big opportunities to give. They love giving the Lord's resources away. Cheerful. The third thing is sacrificially. Sacrificially. C.S. Lewis says this. You've probably seen this before. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say it is too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. Now, some of you, as as you... um, I don't know, as you've been taught about about money, maybe you have this idea of of tithing because tithing would be in the Bible. Tithing uh, in the Old Testament, okay? So before Jesus and then New Testament is Jesus after, okay? So uh, before Jesus came, Old Testament, there was a mandatory law that every one of the people of God would give 10%. That was a tithe. And there were offerings above and beyond that, but tithing meant 10% of what you were to give and it was mandatory. And God came after his people because his people were withholding his resources. And so in the book of Malachi, which is the the last book in the Old Testament, God says this, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes, in your contributions. You You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. I love this. God says, You're not giving because you think you need to hold on to this stuff. Bring it all and put me to the test. Test me, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We're trying to hold on to the little. The little morsels that we have, we're saying, oh, we can't give that because we've, we've gained this much on our own, forgetting that it's God that's given it to us. And God is saying, be generous. Test me. Test me. I'm the one meeting all your needs already. You think that if you give me more, Then I'm going to be like, well, I don't know what to do with that. You know, I I had the spirit of God laying out my accounts and and the son overlooked it as well. And, you know, we just can't give any more to you. We don't know what to do. We're strapped. You're too generous. That will never be said from the Lord. You're too generous. The Lord is saying to these people, don't rob me. Don't rob me. participate in the work that I've given for you to participate with me in. And if we have experienced grace, unlike the people in Malachi, we've seen the Lord with spiritual eyes. We've come to understand that he has risen from the dead. He is alive. He is for us. If we've experienced more grace, then probably more is, is required. There's probably a greater call. Though there's no law. There's no law on how much you to give. And the question this morning is not whether God wants you to give or not, but how much does he want you to give? How much does he want you to give of his resources? tithing, Randy Alcorn says in his little book, The Treasure Principle, very helpful book, he says tithing is like training wheels. It's really good to help you get going, but at some point you have to take the training wheels off. You have to begin to interact with the Spirit of God and say, okay, what do you want me to give? Oh, you want me to give more today? All right, great. I'm going to give more today. Oh, you want me to give less today than what I had been giving? Okay, great. I'm going to move in that. It's not just this thing that we set out in our minds to do. It's saying, Spirit, what do you want for me to give? What do you want for me to give? And tithing should act like a a floor that we stand on, not a ceiling. Well, I've hit 10%. You get the Boy Scout badge, 10% giver. Right? We don't give those out. They're just not there. They're not there. So tithing should be like a floor, not a ceiling. And I want to challenge you to, to start with 10%. And some of you are like, <gasps> internally, you're not saying it out loud. right? But internally, you're like, oh my goodness, I could never, ever do that. And here's why we could never do that. Because when we do out our budgets, if you do out a budget, what we typically do is we start with all our expenses, and we just work through that and our investments. And then whatever's left, we're just like, yes, I'm going to give that. I want to challenge you to budget the other way. You start, and we just did this as a family. We start with how much we make. Okay, this is how much money is going to be coming in. Second line, here's what we're giving this year. Third, here's what we're going to invest. And then whatever is left, we figure out our, our we figure out our expenses from there. This means that we change insurance companies. We change cell phone use, um, providers. We change whatever. We remove things. We deduct certain things because it's not about meeting these needs. Like these needs get met out of the rest. So the kingdom of God is, is an inverse thing. It's flipped that, that we give first and then our needs are taken care of. So why don't don't we give like this? Why don't we give regularly, cheerfully, sacrificially? Some of you might be amazing, I'm so glad. Continue to see the grace and, and gift that the Lord has given to us and keep giving in that way. But if we're not giving this way, why aren't we? Well, number one, maybe you just forget. Maybe you forget, we can help you. Number two, maybe there's greed moving in your heart. I want this stuff. You do move toward the world with your, with your hands grasping for things. Number three, there's unbelief. I don't believe that God can be a provider like that for me. Well, you need to spend more time with him. You need to get to understand who he is as a provider. You say, this is unaffordable. I'd say, well, you haven't tried. You'd say, well, I, I, I don't have a budget. Well, do a budget. We can help you. We can help you do these things. We really can. And maybe some of you are here saying, I don't make very much money. I make 50 bucks a week. If I started with tithing, that would be giving five bucks. What is five bucks gonna do? Do you know who the Lord singles out at the temple giving? He doesn't single out the rich people who are giving a bunch of money. He singles out this this widow, poor widow, who drops the equivalent of like two pennies. We don't even consider that money in Canada anymore right, drops two pennies in the offering bucket. And the Lord says, that's what giving looks like. Because she just gave everything she had. Her heart is completely for the Lord. She's not trying to figure out, how do I keep this for myself? She's saying, Lord, it's all yours. You need to be my provider. So what does your $5 help? It's not about what does it help. It's about you responding to the Lord in giving what he wants for you to give. Because primarily, God wants your heart. If he wanted your money, he'd figure out a way to funnel it out of your paycheck. He really would. But he wants your heart. He wants you to look at that sweet, gross amount that gets grossly taxed by Canada and Quebec. And don't start with the amount after taxes. Start with it before. Allow for it really to be your first fruits. And I know that some of this might be challenging for you, and I'm not trying to set a rule on you either. I'm saying that God wants your heart and he wants to transform your heart to be just like his, which means that you will become a giver in every realm of life. He wants for you to store up eternal treasure, not temporary provisions. Do you get that? He wants for you to have steak in eternity, not steak that you eat, a steak in eternity. Not just your temporary provisions. This is his heart for you. And so here's our church. Here's where we're at. Uh, As a church, 10 to 15% of what we bring in goes out. we planted two churches over the past couple years. Uh, That's been expensive in many different ways. It's been expensive because we've sent out people who have given significant amounts of money to now give to these new church plants, right? And that's great. So glad. But I just want you to hear that we're about giving. We're about the kingdom moving forward in other places. The problem for us right now as we stand is that we have a little wallet, right? Big eyes, big dreams, big heart, little wallet. Um, this year, uh, we we're about $25,000 short of our budget. Uh, now, that could sound really serious, uh, and it is serious, but it doesn't mean that like, no one's going to eat food, no one's going to get paid, we aren't, we're going to stop meeting here. It's not that. It means that there are things that we planned on doing this year that we can't do because we don't have the resources for it. And that's okay. If that's where the Lord wants for us to be, great. But I feel compelled to share that with you. So it's not just me and a group of leaders sitting in a room being like, ah, oh, what do we do? We've been praying for our people to respond in generosity. We've talked more about money over the past month than maybe we've ever talked about it in the entire history of the church, and that's not a bad thing. But that's the reality for where we're at. We can't afford our lifestyle in a way, right? So we need to make necessary provisions to to be able to move forward. Now, the reasons is not because anyone has been irresponsible, okay? There hasn't been any mismanaged funds. You could look at all our books, whatever, like we're completely open to all of that. The reasons is because we had big givers move away or join other church plants, which again, great. And uh, we've had supported leaders. Did you know that Church 21 has never given me a dollar? Never, I don't want it, I, I don't ever want it, but I want for other people to get it. And so we've had supported leaders for so long and now as a church, we're saying, no, we don't want for our leaders to have to raise support anymore. Uh, We want for some of our leaders to just be supported from within. Like we want to grow up as a church. And so we want to become self-sustaining between 2018 and 2019. And so this means that we're going to be praying a lot because we need to be growing in this area. Uh, Jordan Weeks is going to preach next week. As of January 1st, he's going to start a halftime pastoral apprenticeship with me that we as a church are going to pay for. Uh, We see a lot of gifting in Jordan. We want to invest in him and we want to see him grow as a leader. And so we want to be able to pay for him to to do that. And so that's part of what we're doing uh, next year. So I want you to know where we're at with with that. Um, Now, how are we going to become self-sustaining? How is this going to happen? Well, it's going to happen through everyone giving what the Lord wants. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that everything that we need is in this room or will be in this room. Convince of it. And it's gonna happen by us giving what the Lord wants, not just leftovers, not scraps. And so for those of you who have been giving, thank you so much. For those of you who haven't, because you didn't know any of this stuff, I'm so sorry that it's taken this long for us to disciple you in this way. But I wanna ask you to do something this next week as, as you're moving throughout the week, I want to ask you to set aside time to do two things. One, uh, budget your December and 2018. Okay, budget it out. Be proactive with the resources that the Lord is giving. And then just ask him, Lord, what do you want me to give next year? And then obey him. then obey him in that. So don't hear me guilting you into doing anything. I want for the Lord to capture your heart so that we would open our hands of his resources. Uh, those of you with jobs, 10%, uh, that's 10% of gross if that's where you're starting. That might be a huge challenge for you. So pray about that. Lord, help my heart to get in this place. Students, again, you might not make a lot of money. You might have almost no money. But Lord, what do you want for me to give? Is there 10% of what you, you've already given me that, that you want me to, for me to give? I did this with my son this week. He got a birthday card, and uh, he got money. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what are we going to do with that money? He's like, buy stuff. I'm like, yes, we are what else are we gonna do that money? He said, I don't, I don't know. Like, okay, well, we have three drawers, buying or spending, saving, and giving. And so we talked about giving. He's like, yeah, I wanna give. I'm like, why would you wanna give? He's like, well, Jesus gave me that money, right? I'm like, all right, awesome, right? So we wanna be discipling our kids and understanding this stuff at, at a young age. And, and don't feel like your, your gift is nothing, that the Lord will use whatever it is that he's calling you to give. And the way that we use money often keeps us from seeing God provide. The way that we use money often keeps us from seeing God actually provide. Uh, This is not a a Dwight as hero story. Uh, This is a Dwight struggling with lots of unbelief. But when Jess and I were raising money to to move to to Montreal, I made $17,000 a year. Like students working half time probably make more than that. Um, I could not take a better paying job because people would ask, oh, what, what's your commitment to the future of this company look like? And I'm like, well, as soon as I raise enough money to go to Montreal, I'm out of here. Like, no, like crossed out. So we made no money. And then we found out right after that, that we were going to have a baby. Yay. It was really hard for us for a while because we're like, ah, where's the money gonna come from? We don't have enough money to live. We don't have enough money for this little child that's gonna come. Lord, what are you doing? And so in my mind, I said, okay, Lord, during this time, you're gonna have to give to us. I cannot, we cannot give to the church. We cannot give, I was supporting a child uh, in Kenya. I cannot give to that child anymore, right? Like I just went all selfish, me. You're gonna have to give to me. I'm done with these outside places. We're gonna move to Montreal. Do you realize like how great we are, Lord? Again, I didn't say this, but this is what's going on in my heart. So I determined I'm not giving anything to the church. We had no money left at the end of the month. The Lord said to me the first month, no, I want you to keep giving and here's a percentage I want you to give. And I told Jess that and I'm like, this is stupid. Like the Lord is going crazy or I'm going crazy and I'm not hearing right. And I would literally write out checks. And they weren't for a lot of money, but they were for a significant percentage of our income. I'd write out checks, (laughs) put them in the offering plate, and be like, well, this is going to be awesome, because this is the week this one's going to bounce when they cash in on Tuesday. And we're going to be known as a bouncing check couple that's getting sent to Montreal. Awesome. Every week, someone would come up to us. We didn't share our situation with anyone. We didn't tell people, hey, we're giving more than we have. Every week, someone would come up and hand us a check. I would go speak at a church. They're like, hey, here's $1,000. We don't know why we're paying you $1,000 to speak on a Sunday morning, but we think that that was, I'm like, nah, that was a really good sermon if I preach and you give me $1,000, right? And they're like, we just we feel like that's what we're supposed to do for you every single week. Every month, we would write out checks that were gonna bounce, and every week, someone would come up to us and give us the extra. Don't know how but that's what the Lord was doing. He was showing me, he was teaching me, you don't need to be focused on you. You can give, you can be a giver even in your poverty and allow for me to give to you in that place. So let me wrap up with this. God has given everything that we need in Jesus. Everything that we need in Jesus, he is supremely generous towards us and he's making us to look more and more like him. And the Lord wants for the city of Montreal to know more of what the Lord looks like through the generosity of the church. That the church wouldn't look at the city and say, what can we take from the city? But how can we be a blessing to the city? How can we as the church give more so that we can help programs and people and neighbors and and develop resources for the city? We don't want to be takers. We want to be givers. And so I've been praying that the Lord would cause us to respond this morning in great generosity. And and it might not be able to happen this morning, but, but maybe that for the rest of this year and maybe for the rest of our lives, we would have great hearts of generosity towards the Lord, towards his people, and towards the city. So let me pray for us as we get ready to respond. Lord, thank you that you are a generous God. Thank you that you speak to us about money. Thank you that you're not silent about it. Thank you that uh, these are your resources and you have the ability to provide them. Lord, thank you that that you are able to to give us everything that we need and above and beyond that. Thank you that you want to use us to participate in, in this blowing, gaping holes in the gates of hell, that our resources would contribute toward that. Lord, I pray that we as a people would become more generous. Lord, for those of us who see ourselves as generous, make us more generous, make us more like you. And may the city see the way that, that Church 21 and your church here in Quebec are generous and say, wow, what a generous God. That would cause for his people to look at the resources that they've been called to steward and say, we, we don't need them and that, that we can give them away. So we love you and we need you for everything. Help us to respond appropriately this morning. Amen.